Hey there, I'm Brian Kateman, host of the Reducitarian Podcast, where I speak to experts in their field about how to accomplish a concrete goal that advances our shared mission for a more sustainable, healthy, and compassionate world. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hey, Sam, thanks so much for joining the Reducitarian Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're super excited to have you. I can't believe it's 2023 already. We're back and we're ready to do our best in advancing our goal of reducing societal consumption of animal products. And I'm really excited for you to talk about the work that you're doing in essentially creating student clubs through Plant Futures Initiative. So maybe just to get started, maybe you could tell people a little bit about yourself and your organization that you're a part of. Yeah, sure. I um, My name is Samantha. I started the Plant Features Initiative a couple of years ago at UC Berkeley. I was a master's student in the public health program. I went to UC Berkeley to study plant-based food systems. I wanted to work in the sector and very quickly realized that there were no resources, courses on campus on this topic at all. Even in my public health program, we weren't talking about animal agriculture. We weren't talking about plant-based nutrition. I was pretty shocked considering that I, it is one of the biggest public health issues in our country. And I was also at Berkeley went in, in the middle of one of the capitals of the plant-based space and sector. And I was really shocked that there just weren't resources for students like myself who wanted to work in the space. So that's kind of where the whole idea and project started. I wanted to create something, create a resource for students who wanted to work in the sector. So um, early on, I met a professor, Will Rosenzweig, who teaches at UC Berkeley. I met a few other students at the same time. I was kind of being at the right place at the right time type of situation and um, got excited about this idea about creating something and creating a course resource program for students on campus. So it started as a personal project, kind of a passion project in my professor's class. And um, I continued to work on it through my master's program. And it very quickly started to grow. There was excitement. There was a lot of energy on campus around the topic. I saw that there were so many other students besides myself who were interested in this. So I ended up submitting it to the university for academic credit for approval. They approved the course. And while I was a student, we launched the program and the called the Plant Futures course. It was a two-part class. It was a symposium, a weekend crash course into plant-based food systems. And then we had a semester-long challenge lab class where students got to work directly with companies in the plant-based sector. And we were really connecting them to this amazing network, giving them an opportunity to work on their skills, apply learning experiences so that they could take this and create careers um, in the sector. And we had a very successful first year of the program. And during that experience, during the program, students from all over the world were reaching out. They found out about Plant Futures and they were asking, how can we join? How can we audit? How can we be part of this movement? And that was really the signal and the turning point where we saw that there was an opportunity beyond UC Berkeley to share these resources. And there was just a lot of excitement and a lot of energy and students wanting to work in food systems. And similar to Berkeley, most campuses across the world don't have any resources for students who want to build careers in this field. And um, that's where we started to grow the program. So I, I graduated. Um, I started working on Plant Futures full-time. We started a 501c3. And since then, we've just had amazing traction, amazing success. And we've been able to start the program on other campuses, both the curriculum, but also student chapters, which I'll share more about today, where we're really creating the community and creating student movements on campuses across the world. And that's what I'm doing now. And we have a lot of really exciting plans for 2023. We have more plans for global expansion, um, but most of our presence right now is in the U.S. That's amazing. And the reason, one of the reasons I'm so happy you're here is that when we first chatted, I was just blown away by how many 
um, you call them student chapters or student clubs that you've managed to um, either you know create or help support. Um, and so that's really what I want to talk about today because I think people understand um, how important it is that we reach new audiences, that we get young people interested in this movement. And um, the work you've done is really impressive. So hopefully we can learn from you a little bit today. So I wonder if you can help us think through what's the best place to get started? Like if you have an idea for some suite of you know new clubs or new student chapters that you think would be useful, um, how did you go about you know creating that and how would you advise people to, to to at least to begin thinking about how they might you know go out and make that happen yeah that's that's a great question I think for me the most powerful tool I had from the beginning and especially being UC Berkeley was the network of of people both my peers my colleagues my classmates faculty on campus um, companies organizations in the Bay Area so we really when we first created this program, a lot of the idea behind it was like, let's bring these connect these networks together. Let's bring these ideas together. Let's bring students, connect them to faculty on campus, connect them to other students on campus, really bringing like-minded individuals together, putting their skills, ideas together to really create a movement. So that's kind of what happened with Plan Futures too. I had this amazing network at the beginning, starting with my mentor, my professor, Will, who very quickly started to connect me to other students on campuses who were interested in this topic. He connected me to other faculty on campus. And I very quickly just saw how powerful it is to build community, to get people together, to share ideas. And that is really how the student chapters function as well. So we work, it's a combination of both, we started kind of with personal references, um, connecting to other UC campuses because we started in California. We had a lot of connections to other UC campuses, other California campuses, faculty who knew faculty on other campuses, students who had friends on other campuses. So we kind of started organically uh, referrals, personal networks, reaching out to the California ecosystem, bringing people together through online events, curriculum, um, identifying existing movements on campuses too. So of course, there are a lot of environmental clubs, sustainability clubs, students that are already working on different ideas or different communities that very much align with what we're doing, um, identifying those movements. And really just, it started for me as just creating this huge, I had this huge Excel sheet combination of campuses, academic programs, students, faculty, networks, and just like bringing it all together. And I spent hours emailing on phone calls, setting up Zoom calls with people and just sharing more about what we were doing, talking to them. And I just so quickly felt the energy from students on different campuses, faculty who were just so excited about what we were doing. And it was so motivating for me. So I spent hours getting on calls, telling them, trying to understand um, ex what existed on their campus as well and what we could bring to their campus that would help either support what existed or fill certain gaps or needs. And it looked different on every campus as well. Every campus is totally different. Even our approach right now, each student chapter functions a little bit differently depending on what exists, what the student needs are, what the student's interests are. So we work, we have a team and I have colleagues now who help me with this. At first, it was just me getting on calls with people and trying to do it all on my own. And thankfully, our team has grown since then. I have a lot of support. We have a community growth manager who um, gets on calls with students, works with them to create a strategy, create objectives for their chapters, share resources that we have at UC Berkeley, exchange ideas with other chapter members. And we really guide them through the process of what does it mean to have a chapter? How do we even get it started? We some And that process is a little bit different on each university as well. Sometimes universities have a very formal, long bureaucratic process for getting a student chapter started. Other ones, it's very easy. It's a one-day thing. You just fill out a form and it's done. So 
Um, we have been working with students to get get those up and started, apply for funding for chapters. What a lot of students don't know is that there is a lot of a lot of money. Well, not a lot, but there is money on campuses. Universities will provide funding for students to start initiatives on campus, whether it's funding for a meal, for a potluck. And that makes a huge difference, just being able to get students together over a meal, host a speaker, um, travel to events and conferences. So we really help them find the existing resources on their campuses to start a chapter. But we also share what we can from UC Berkeley to help get things up and running if there are gaps on their campuses or support that they need outside of their school. Cool. So yeah, let's drill down on all that a little bit. So when you're trying to get these clubs created, is it really the student that is ultimately the driver? Like you mentioned reaching out to faculty, professors, but is your sort of the the, the main person that you need to reach? Is it accurate to say it's the student? Absolutely. I think student voices go a long way on campuses. And that's something I learned through my own experience at UC Berkeley. The university will respond to student interests when you're persistent enough and when you keep pushing. And it's not always easy. I, at the beginning, when I was starting Plant Futures, I was actually kind of disappointed at how um, little, just little attention and support I got from the university on this topic on plant-based food systems. A lot of people are not aligned with this vision. Universities are slow to respond. They're not very innovative with updating their curriculum. So I got a lot of pushback at first, if anything, from the university on this topic. And but I kept pushing forward. I kept emailing. I, I knew that there was enough interest on campus, especially from students, that that we would be able to find a way. So I was very persistent. I kept emailing, trying to find the right people, the right allies. And over time, I built almost this whole network of, of supporters and mostly of students who were interested. Mm-hmm. And I think as the university saw that the student students were interested, they um, became more responsive and, and more supportive. And that's pretty much the case on most campuses that we work on. The more students you get together, the more um, active they are with their voices and persistent, they will eventually respond to that. And that's something that we're trying to communicate and support to our students and support them with is really being um, advocates for this on their campuses and supporting them in that movement. And having faculty always helps knowing someone in faculty and administration. I think that is an important piece, but nothing is more important than the student voices and, and really helping them um, be advocates on their campus for this topic. And so in terms of reaching those students, um, it sounds like there was maybe some situations where you know, you might know students at one campus and then the students can be ambassadors. Did you ever email a faculty member or anybody else? And and what would you say? You know, if especially if you didn't, did you ever email people you didn't know? Like maybe it was a random professor. What was kind of the, um, I think holistically, I'm trying to understand how do you reach those students and what are you communicating in order to get access to those students? Maybe like, you know, maybe they are forwarding some email onto this, their, their students in their class or I don't know. Yeah. Walk us through that. Yeah. So there are a few different pieces, a few different strategies that I use. So the first one, the symposium and the curriculum that we offered at UC Berkeley was completely online the first two years because this all started during COVID. So because it was online, we were actually able to open our program and our event to students across campuses across the world who were able to join when we had our first conference and our first course. So what we did the first year, it was originally just going to be for UC Berkeley students. So when we saw that there were students emailing us from different parts of the world, let's say, let's just get this information widely out there as far as possible because we want students to learn about this. So we, I started just cold emailing universities, UC schools, starting with California, where we knew other faculty members, a lot, like you said, a lot of people I didn't even know what I would do is either 
identify existing food programs, sustainability programs, environmental programs. I would either find the program manager, a professor who taught in that program, someone who was associated with them. And I, you, there are huge listservs for a lot of these programs on campuses, and you can very easily reach a lot of students through these massive listservs. But I had to find the person who had access to that listserv on campuses. So I started just sending tons of emails to program managers, advisors, faculty on campuses, asking, hey, can you share this information with your students? At first, it was sharing in the conference, the event that we were having. We're having the symposium. We're going to have these amazing speakers. It's an opportunity for students to learn about this. Can you spread the word? So very quickly, professors just started emailing either their classes or listservs or academic programs. And we just saw registration numbers go up and up and up. And I got really excited about that. So um, that was one approach. Another was looking at existing clubs on campuses, either animal rights clubs, vegan clubs, sustainability clubs, anything that had some alignment with our vision. And similarly, I would just try to track down the email of that student who was either part of that club or I would go on their LinkedIn, send them a LinkedIn message. Same thing. Hey, can you share the word with your club? Can you spread the word? And of course, social media was a huge help for us too. A lot of these clubs have social media pages, Instagram pages. So we would actually create little graphics for them and we would give them the text. We would make it as easy as possible. Say, hey, here's this conference we have coming up. Here's the graphic and the text. Can you please share this with your students? Um, If you share it, we'll give you X amount of free passes for the conference. We had all these types of different strategies approach. And then at the same time, we were starting to build a newsletter listserv. So then um, we started collecting emails through our list set, through our listserv, sending out newsletters. So it was a lot of at first, a lot of just emailing, sending messages. And um, I would also, depending on the type of club, faculty, or program I was approaching, I would frame a little differently. So if it was an environmental club, I would really focus on the climate piece of what we were doing or the climate change, how this tied into environmental topics. If it was nutrition, have it, I would um, approach it more from a public health angle and like this is what we're doing, this is how it ties into public health or animal rights, veganism, I'd give it more of that focus. So um, a lot of experimenting too, and just kind of iterating what we were saying, even thinking about the framing and our framing and the way we talk about it has evolved quite drastically from the beginning, because we also are trying to think about how to reach students. And we're not necessarily just targeting vegan and vegetarian students. We want to target, we want to target everyone, um, students who are either thinking about this, who want to eat more plant-based, who want to start careers in the sector, but maybe don't know a lot about it. That's really our target audience. We don't want to just preach to the choir, but we want to reach students from all backgrounds, all academic disciplines and areas of interest. Um, all that's really great. So I'm curious, when you actually get connected to a student, what do you pitch them? I mean, are you asking them to start a club? Are you offering support? If so, what kind of support? Um, how do you get how do you get from going? How do you get from being connected to a student to them actually creating some kind of student chapter or club? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's usually most of the time it's a a phone call, getting on a call with them on Zoom on the phone and telling them, first of all, what Plant Futures is, what we're doing, why this is important. We really want to accelerate the transition to a plant-centric food system by equipping the next generation of leaders, which is students and young professionals on campuses. And we do this through our curriculum. I'm starting our curriculum on different campuses, bringing awareness to what's happening in food systems, getting giving students applied learning experiences. So that's one of the pieces through the student chapter. 
they will have access to a lot of our resources, our curriculum. Sometimes we let students audit our big conference. We open up to students and all of our chapters every year. So that's one piece of it. But second, it's really creating the movement and the community on campus and activating students to be leaders and to be voices on their campus. So as a student co-founder, as a student member in the chapter, you have an opportunity to collect, to connect to other like-minded students, um, to be the leader, to be the voice on your campus, start reaching out to students, telling them what Plant Futures is, how they can be part of Plant Futures. And they, what we do is we support them with either starting events on their campuses, whether it's a speaker event, a career networking event or panel, um, community potlucks, connecting to local farms, volunteer opportunities. And then one of the biggest pieces is creating the talent pipeline between academia and the sector, creating, connecting students to job and internships opportunities. So that's one of the pieces of what we do that students are most excited about because there are very few resources for students, as I was mentioning earlier, that want to work in the sector. So what we are doing is connecting them to our resources at UC Berkeley, which is, like I said, our curriculum, but also our network. We created this incredible network of companies, organizations, faculty members, just this huge ecosystem of people, leaders, scientists, researchers in the plant-based space, innovators, founders, who are helping grow the movement and connecting students to these jobs, to these internships. So as we grow our professional network, I'm constantly getting companies reaching out to me saying, hey, we're hiring for this position or we have this opportunity, this project, you know, students that be interested in this. And as these companies grow, they are, a lot of them are struggling to find the right talent and the right students for these positions. They're growing very quickly, but they want to find these students. They want to find the students that are passionate, excited, interested, and, and talented and able to do these jobs. And we have this amazing network of talented, excited students um, who want to work in the sector. So we're really connecting the two. We're connecting them to each other. We're connecting the companies to students, the students to the companies. So students get really excited when we tell them, hey, we have this amazing network. We're here to support you as you, you build your career and you think about what you want to work in. It's just the perfect time because a lot of students are, this is a time when they're thinking about their jobs, their careers, and thinking about something that's aligned with their values that they can work in. And um, so we, we've we done career networking events. Um, we have this big list of our student chapters. Every time we have a job opening, we send it to our students. And we've had a huge amount of students in our program who have gotten jobs or internships, either because of our curriculum or because of our network. So that's another piece of it too, is, is we're really helping equip them and connect them um, to create great jobs and opportunities for them for, for their livelihoods and work in this field. That's amazing. That's really awesome. Okay. So you get on the call with the student, you tell them about what you're up to. I'm sure there's a broad spectrum of capabilities among these students. Like you must meet some students who are very interested, but do they know how to go get other students to be interested? Do they have those skills already? Or is there a a training process on your end? Do they, I don't know, do they design their own flyers and print them out? Do they, you know what I mean? Because being a student is, can be overwhelming and maybe maybe you've never started, started a club before. Um, I think um, I'm just curious how a student goes from being sort of interested to actually doing what can be quite challenging. And you alluded to this earlier that some universities have a very formal and stringent process around creating a club. They have to get other club members on board. Um, Maybe you could give you know, examples of experiences that you've had with these students um, 
yeah, do you, am I too skeptical and too like, are these, are there students all around who are just incredibly capable and they actually don't need that much guidance or do you have to play a role in, um, you know, really supporting them from step one to the finish line? That's a great question. And both we've, <laughs> we've experienced all of it. So it has been a learning process for us as well from the beginning, because we have such variety of students, everything from the level of their education to their life experiences. So our program is open to all levels of education. So we've had everything from undergraduates, um, freshmen to PhD students. And a lot of them, some students have had amazing, incredible work experience in the sector. They have specific skills. They've actually already worked in the plant-based sector companies or students who have never worked in their life are just starting college, just left their parents' home. So it's really everywhere. And of course we have, um, you're always going to have the students who are going to take initiative don't need any guidance. They just go out there and they get things started. And we're very hands-off and we have a lot of those students in our program, but we also have a lot of students who this is their first time maybe ever even engaging with the student community on a club or maybe even having a leadership role or, or they, maybe they don't know much about the plant-based sector and they're barely starting to learn and they're curious. And we really do a lot to help those students as well. We have everything from this amazing information guide that our community growth manager has created it's this long guide around how do you start a chapter? Here are ideas, here are ideas for events. This is how you get it registered for the university. These are the objectives. This is what we've done at UC Berkeley. This is what has worked. This, this is what hasn't worked. So over time, that guide gets longer and longer. But so we give them those types of resources. Um, we have a designer on our team who's amazing, designs a lot of our content, mm. flyers. So we actually give them specific flyers for their campus with their university logo that they can just share out widely. Um, we give them social media graphics. So we do everything we can um, to support them through that process and share our learnings with them. But we have learned so much from our students too. I mean, we have had our experience at UC Berkeley, but as the students go out in the world and start things on their campuses, we ask them to report back. We send monthly surveys, check-in emails. We'll do one-on-one check-ins with them and try to understand what are their challenges? What's working? What's not working? Sometimes, like you said, students really struggle to find other students on campuses or don't know where to find the right people. Sometimes they recruit members in days. They just suddenly have this huge network. So the challenges look a little bit different on the campus. Um, it's it's very varied. And one thing that we have um, started doing that is incredibly helpful is we'll have monthly chapter calls for all the co-founders. We'll get them together from across campuses. And it's kind of like this learning experience, brainstorming, ideating together. We ask, we go around, ask them what has been, uh, what have been your successes? What have been your challenges? How can we support each other? So we learn so much from those chapter calls, understand the students, and it's really helpful for them too to connect to other students on campuses, try to figure out uh, what's going well, what's not. And um, through that process, we we have learned a lot and we continue to change and iterate, um, evolve our process from that feedback, every feedback. So it's monthly calls, um, one-on-one calls, check-ins. And um, like you said, it's kind of all over the place, but the students who are a little, always look a little more nervous or hesitant at the beginning, by the end of the semester, they're out there taking initiative, doing their thing. And it's just amazing to see them grow through that process as well. That's really great. That's super cool to see that growth in the students. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, do you ever find that, or let me more broadly, what do you, what are some of the obstacles to getting clubs created? So um, like one thing that came to mind is maybe the administration might say like, oh, there's already an environmental club. Um, we can't have another club that's so similar. Um, do you ever run into like annoying bureaucratic kind of things? Or are there other obstacles that that make it uh, challenging? And have you found any ways to overcome 
some of those obstacles? Yeah, that that is a great question. Bureaucracies have always been one of our main obstacles from the beginning, the academic bureaucracies. I learned a lot through Berkeley just how slow and difficult it can be to work with universities and administration. And part of the reason that we started the 501c3 so is that we could also exist independently outside of universities because working just within campuses can be very difficult, can be very challenging and, and slow as well. Um, but of course, there are advantages to working with campuses, working with universities and just getting recognition from schools that this is an important topic that we should be teaching in academia. So um, some of the challenges, I think, for one is just, I think, general alignment with this vision and understanding why we need a plant-based food system. A lot of campuses are not are not interested, just don't understand, don't are not very supportive. So I think it's finding mm-hmm. the right person on a campus, whether it's the right faculty member. Usually you want at least one person administration, one faculty person who can support the students of being a voice on their campus. And that that has been tricky. Um, some campuses, you find them right away. You find the professors who get it. They're doing research. They understand the importance of this. And there are other campuses that where we have had some campuses where students will spend an entire semester trying to find either faculty administration, someone who will hear them, who will even sign their forms. And some campuses, you need someone in administration or faculty to sign a uh, form to sponsor your chapter. And we have had a couple campuses that have really struggled with that. They cannot find the right person on their campus to do that. Thankfully. Um, that's not usually the case, but in some cases, um, we and we try to work with them to find that right person. And eventually, they will find that person, but it's not always easy um, getting that that support from faculty administration. That's kind of um, it can. It's a little sad to see that a lot of schools or a lot of people are still not thinking about this and don't understand the importance of plant based food systems. But like I said, the student voices are so loud, and when you get enough student voices together, eventually you will get you will get <laughs> to where you need to go. And that's what we love at, at Plant Futures. Um, funding can also be tricky sometimes. Is um, some campuses and most of them do have funding for student clubs or organizations, but it's not always a lot. It depends on the school, whether it's a private or a public school. And a lot of the times, you do need money to get students together to get have a meal, host speakers, find them in from somewhere. Um, and a lot of students on student budgets don't always have the resources themselves. So. We try to connect them to the resources on campuses, whether it's grants, um, funding for student clubs. So that can be tricky as well. Um, and then sometimes the, the student registration, getting it registered on campus can be very like said, bureaucratic, tricky, complicated. But we continue, even in that process, if they don't have formal recognition through the university, we will give students opportunities to still be part of our community, join all of our online events and community we don't want to lose that energy and momentum just because they don't have a form sign on their campus. They said we continue to include them as if they were an official chapter in our broader plant futures community. And that's the nice thing about existing outside of academia as well as we can continue to grow this movement at the pace that we need to without having to wait uh, for universities to respond, especially in the cases where they're not quick to respond. I'm laughing because I worked uh, I worked at a university as an administrator for for several years. And I just remember how difficult it was to get people paid. It would take months yeah. to get a check out. And um, I'm very grateful to just be able to write a check in the same minute of speaking about it and putting it in the mail. So it's a good thing. Grateful for my work. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned this, stu- we've talked a lot about the students and you now you, you mentioned the faculty. The pro- so when do you ever email professors and say, hey, um, I have an stu- amazing student. They really want to start this club. Would you be willing to be the, the person? Or um, do you ever email professors who 
you may know they're already very mission aligned and you say, hey, it would be great if there was a club um, on your campus or student chapter on your campus. Could you try to recruit students for your this? Is there any kind of dynamic there with the, the faculty professors? And, and if so, what is it? Yeah, exactly what you said. Both approaches. I've done both. So in cases where students can't find that faculty member, I will just make a list of all the different programs on campus that are related to this topic. And I'll just send the same email to all the professors like, hey, professor, here's plan features what we do. We have these amazing students. Will you do this? And at first, it was a little intimidating to reach out to professors who I didn't know personally or had no connection to. But in my mind, it's always the worst they can say is no or the worst is the no response. So why not? So I would just send out tons of emails. And most of the time, it really is a numbers game. The more people you ask, eventually you will find someone who says yes. So most of the time, I think if you email enough people, you will eventually find a professor who is supportive, who is excited. But it usually does take at least one or two phone calls on Zoom and really share what you're, what we're doing. What is Plan Futures? What are we all about? So that they have a deeper understanding of our programming. We'll actually sometimes invite professors to our events, to our conferences, um, to our networking panels. A lot of them are virtual, so it's easy to get people from all over the world. And that's really a cool opportunity for them to see in action what we're doing. We'll invite them sometimes to our student presentations for our challenge lab. So that's another approach we have is not just sending emails, but really keep them engaged with our community, show them what we're doing, show them the student excitement and the momentum. And I, we've been super lucky to have incredibly supportive uh, faculty across different campuses who are so excited about what we're doing. Some of them are very engaged with the students and they end up being mentors for the students, coaching them through the process. Some of them are a little more hands-off. It depends on the campus. And um, and a lot of them too are teaching courses that are somewhat related to this topic, whether it's just a more general food systems course or a climate change course. And what's interesting is um, some of the professors have actually invited me to give a talk in their class about plan features and what we do. So it is, it is all great to find professors who are actively teaching topics related to what we're doing because there's an opportunity for them to spread the word in their class with their students and um, share our information that way. So it's been, our approach has been varied, but we've been super lucky to have a very supportive um, faculty network across different campuses. That's great. That's really cool to hear. So I, I buried the lead because I said I was so impressed with all the great work you're doing, but we never actually talked about how many clubs you've created. So yeah, tell us about the scale of and the success of what you've been up to. Yeah, we have around 30 chapters right now. And going into 2023, there is so we've had so much traction. We've had um, a lot of interest universities reaching out over winter break over the fall semester asking how they can get clubs started. So in the spring, I know that number is going to go up quite a bit. I am pretty confident we're going to get to 100 chapters pretty soon, definitely in 2023. Um, and it's just so exciting because we've had interest. Like I said, we started in California, so we have a lot of West Coast schools, but then we started expanding to the East Coast. Then we started thinking about di diversifying geographic regions, too. We want the middle of the country, we want the South, where we have a lot of these big agricultural areas. And so we have a lot of diversity within the U.S. right now, but we've had campuses from different parts of the world starting to reach out. One of the first um, students that reached out for her symposium was from Brazil. So we started a Brazil chapter pretty early on. Um, we have a couple chapters in Europe. We're talking to a couple in Asia and I recently moved to Mexico City. So I'm actually have a plan to start the program in Mexico um, this coming year. We're going to start chapters in Latin America. And it's just really exciting to see that there is interest in this on a global scale and just how quickly the plant-based sector is growing in other, other parts of the world. So 
we have a lot of exciting plans for international expansion, but I um, see it growing very quickly. I mean, it's almost at the pace where it's starting to outgrow the bandwidth of our team. I think we're going to have to hire more people on our team this year and get more capacity so we can really grow the impact and grow the program at the rate um, that it's growing right now. We're super excited about that. That's great. Well, I think it's a really important program. And I think what you've done is um, really remarkable because I know how challenging it can be to create clubs. So you certainly have figured out how to do it and you shared a little bit um, of insights into that. So we really appreciate it. Um, Sam, thank you so much for, for being a part of the Reduced Terrain podcast. And for those who are listening, we will see you next time. Thanks, Sam. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. Appreciate it.